Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me this week, I have Brad. How are you, Brad? Good, mate. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. I mean, we've, we're kind of in a bit of a, a groundhog day, I feel, with City. So I've had Logan, I've had Dan, and now yourself, and it's it's been pretty much the same results every week. So it's the same <laughs> conversation with different people, I feel like, um, unfortunately. Um, another 1-0 loss to discuss, but, uh, you know, uh, lost to Coventry. Um, I mean, I, I try and look at the silver linings in this game and, and the fact that last week Dan and I sort of said, you know, just give us something, give us a change of form, uh, formation or personnel, bring a manual in for Coil, do something. Um, and we did see changes made. We saw Emmanuel come in, which was good to see. We saw Eve starting up top. Um, it was almost a two up top formation. Um, I think uh, uh, Fletcher in commentary was sort of saying, I mean, we had KLP and Eves basically playing up top and Moncur probably sitting in behind them more than anything else. Um, and then even switched to the 3-5-2 in the second half, um, all to no avail in the end. But I look, I mean, if you're kind of grasping at straws on positives to take out of the game, at least, at least we're trying something new. Yeah, look, and I think I'm normally the first to jump on the negative bandwagon a bit, but... The one thing that sort of maybe impressed me a little bit was we actually had a sh- had shots and quite a few of them, and we've we've not so much in recent weeks, but we've moaned for about probably sort of six or seven of the last ten games that we've looked pretty ordinary and never really looked like scoring. But in this game, you could pretty safely say that we had some chances. Um, we probably still didn't look like we were anywhere near a top half team, but against a team that's you know, sitting where they are in the league, it, it still shows that we could do it. It maybe is just that point that I know you and Logan talked about a bit as well as just having one or two players that aren't really up to this standard that are, mm-hmm. you know, pushing us through like a like a Smallwood did last year in a lower division. This year, who's really driving us as if we are where we should be? Yeah, and I think especially with Honeyman missing the match with um, an illness, it sounds like, so nothing too serious. Um, it just it, it feels like there's not a whole lot of... I mean, as you say, we, we're creating the chances. It's just we're not creating clear-cut, uh, tangible sort of chances that we can turn into goals. I think I saw the stat today put up that of all the championship teams, we have the lowest conversion of shots into goals or chances into goals or something like that, which... Um, feels pretty accurate at the moment. It just feels like um, it, it's a real slog to try and even just score a goal, let alone win a match. Um, you know, you, it, it's it's hard to believe after looking at last season's results and the, the way that we were so free-flowing and free-scoring in League One and um, the players just haven't been able to step up as much as we would have hoped. I mean, we're not expecting them to go out and each score 20 goals a season in the championship, but 10, 15 goals shouldn't have been out of the realm of possibilities and it just doesn't look like happening. Yeah, I think that's probably the more important bit that you you mentioned there is, I mean, you can talk about where we are on the table and and these sorts of things and, and where the promise might actually come from. But if you aren't scoring goals, what chance to give you? It's almost like saying if we went down 2-1, it would have been such a better result. Mm. Um, but when, when you've got teams that can effectively score a goal and then sit back and absorb, um, then... 
to some extent, not that they sat back and absorbed, but you know what I mean? It, it, it gives yeah. other teams almost an advantage in game plan knowing, well, these guys aren't that threatening. Yeah, and then they'd probably go into a game knowing if, if they score one goal, they've won the game because they know they yeah. haven't put up much threat. Yeah. Exactly. And then probably the, the stat that probably interests me a little bit leading into the game is where I thought we might pinch a draw is that Coventry haven't got a really what I would say is top four, top six defence. Mm. Um, they've scored some goals, that's good, but they're, they're really where they are because they've ground out some results. So if you've got a chance to score multiple goals or at least try and get on the sheet, this is the team that you want to have a crack at. Um, and, yeah, just disappointing, couldn't couldn't be done. Yeah, I think I saw the stat last week that they'd only conceded three less goals than us or something like that, which just shows fine mar- – well, I mean, it, in a sense, it shows fine margins, but it also just shows how much – better in attack they clearly are than us um and and in terms of getting results on the board through um through scoring goals per se i mean it also probably shows a little bit that we're not actually conceding that many goals as well we're losing a lot of games one nil yeah that's that's a pretty fair point if in fact i don't i think derby's obviously derby's position on goal differences is pretty tight but i would say in the bottom half i mean we know we've got the worst goals for in the league but Defensively, we're probably actually just sneaking into the top half. Yeah, on on goals against, but it's just no good if you're that poor in front of the sticks. Yeah, I'm just having a look at it now. It looks like so we've we've conceded. Uh, what column am I looking at here? So we've conceded. Well, we've con- so we've conceded 21 goals, but you know we've got Peterborough in 20th who've conceded 31. We've got Reading in 17th who've conceded 27. Um, you've got QPR in 11th who've conceded 23. So. Where we've conceded as many goals as Luton, who are sitting in sixth, so yeah, it just yeah. goes to show you, you know, they've they've scored twenty six goals to our nine, which is which is where the difference lies. And and I mean, without you know, I know we'll get to the, the actual game itself, but when you look at it realistically, we lose one deal, we don't score again. Um, sure, we shifted things around, and there were some positives in that, but again, probably with the goalkeeper and at times the defence being as good as they were it could have easily been a couple more yeah um and i was actually going to ask you about that so with the with the goal that coventry actually scored um diving or, or a stooped header i guess you'd say from godden for for coventry um greaves playing him on side it's it's one of those ones where i don't I, i'm not quite sure how to feel with that where it's are you critical of greaves for playing him on side or it's just one of those um, you know, we thought we'd cleared the ball, they got it back and were able to fire it into the box and it's just more unfortunate than anything with Greaves' positioning for it. Yeah, look, I think you could probably have a look at a string of things there that caused it. I mean, Greaves, uh, yeah, probably played him on side, but uh, you could also argue that the way that, you know, the ball came in, did we have enough pressure all around that whole passage of play? Mm. No, so I think it's pretty hard to to, to pick specifically on him. Um, but I, I think as well that probably sums us up is that it's these silly mistakes that cost us. It's not like we have been devastatingly poor defensively and lost against a team that was absolutely smacking us around. It's just that yeah. good teams don't make those silly mistakes. And it's a bit of a head-scratcher as well because, again, the, the cross into the box comes in from the right-hand side where we had Emmanuel playing uh, on this occasion, but um, the last few weeks where we've been a bit vulnerable on that side and we've had Coyle there, I mean, there's been a few fingers pointed at Coyle, but um, obviously you've changed that up now with Emmanuel and it's still happening. So 
and, and we didn't even have Wilkes on the pitch, who some were sort of saying was, wasn't tracking back, dropping back to help Coyle out when he was playing. So um, it's a bit of a confusing one that we just seem to continue to get targeted on that side to, to the opposition's success. Yeah, look, it is. And, and probably the best sort of sum up I could give on that as well is, you know, I heard McCann's interview afterwards and talking about the fact that, you know, we've got to stop conceding these silly goals and, you know, that makes it hard for us. Well, the one thing you can say is we just talked a minute ago about our goals against puts us at mid-table. Yeah. So I think he's got to change his mindset to say, hey, listen, every team in this comp can score against us. Yeah. So we've got to score either one to get a point or two. It's pretty pretty easy. And at the moment, we just don't look like we really want to score. It's like we really want to defend first. And I think the only way we're going to fight our way out of this is certainly trying to score more goals, even if we do concede them. We've got to pick up points. We're not going to do it with one nil results. Yeah. And it, it's just strange after that Middlesbrough game, or after the Blackpool and Middlesbrough games, really, where we can, we scored in consecutive games. We scored two against Middlesbrough. I really thought that was a run where we'd start to get a bit more confidence back. And, and I guess maybe it was the international break coming at a poor time um, to sort of disrupt the momentum. But it just seems like the players are a bit scared, scared or, or uncertain on, on trying to take those chances and score goals and just missing that sort of creative spark to work, to make their way through defences and get into good positions to score. It's um, pretty frustrating. I mean, Lewis Potter um, is probably one of the more dangerous or creative players that we have, and, and he's not even managing to do too much lately. And that that's a really good point, mate, because that makes you start thinking, well, hang on a minute, are we dialing back the attacking play a little to become more defensive because we're worried about teams scoring against us. I mean, that Middlesbrough game is a prime example of a game that, by rights, I didn't think we were great. And, in fact, if you talk to a Middlesbrough supporter, they probably thought that they should have at least got something from the game themselves. But we, we managed to put two in and hold on, and it's more because we took a few chances. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we're not seeing enough of. I mean, even the Stoke game, we know that going to Stoke's always a hard you know, task, but at least we went down 2-0 and it wasn't through real lack of trying. Um, yeah. And it's the same. But you, you don't mind going to Stoke and losing 2-0 when you have a crack, but at home against Coventry, you expect to score. That's really no, that's what right. the, the, the mindset's got to be. That's right. Um, and as you sort of said before as well, uh, you know, it was it was to the credit of Ingram and, and the defence that it wasn't actually a few more that they scored. I think there was one where they were through on goal in the first half where um, Ingram put in a great dis- display, a great save to keep them out as well. So he's, I mean, we're sort of looking at our performances. He, he's almost player of the season, which, I mean, as we say, we actually haven't conceded as many goals as you'd expect to have to be where we are on the table. And, and that's largely or, or solely down to Ingram's performances. Yeah, look, it's funny as well because we I know we talked at the start of the season about, you know, keepers and first choice and non-first choice. He's really done everything we could ask and probably more considering where we sit on the table as well and probably could be the fact that if we do get out of this hole and push ourselves away from this relegation point, a lot of it will be what he's been able to do early doors as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and then I guess the other one in defence to touch on is Bernard, who's putting together a fantastic season. I think, um, I can't remember if it was on last week's episode or just in the chat or something like that, where I was saying, if if there's any possibility of bringing him into into the club on a permanent deal, I think we should try and look at doing it because 
he he seems just the latest off a line of of recruits from the United Academy who who are doing a job for us. Yeah, and I think it it sort of goes back in time a little bit with you know the last time we had our Premier League run and those X Man U guys. I mean, they're well drilled. Their academy's got to be one of the best in the world for a reason. And if we can find a way to commit to him long term, well, you just got to do it. And it should be yeah. a pretty uh, obvious sort of decision to make already, really. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I guess we did have McLaughlin come on in the second half when we did switch to the three five two. I thought he looked great. Um, I think he, he sort of joined Bernard in in the aftermath of the game, saying that he thinks the three five two suits us much better, gives us much more um, confidence or solidity in defence. Uh, didn't concede in the second half, so there's the argument to be made that it's you know it's a it's a it's a formation that seems to work for the players. Um, I guess the question marks would be around the creativity that allows for us and whether we can score the goals in that formation. But certainly seemed to be be a positive, and, and he certainly looked good when he came on. Yeah, look, he did, and I think as well, probably like you said, we know really that Bernard and Greaves are a quality. Elder, we know, is quality. Like, we've got the players at the back that we should be able to trust with three um, and just have a crack, you know, yeah. really try and create something. At the moment, without buying a, an out-and-out new striker, the goals are going to have to come from the one or two guys leading that line, but we know that we can make it a lot easier if we've got a pretty attacking midfield setup. Yeah, certainly. Um, and that's okay. definitely the, the, the benefit of having all of those shots. The goals will come, but we've got to just be able to say, well, look, we're attacking first and defending yeah. second. Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. And 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 allowing for Emmanuel and Elder to get forward more, um, push up, support the attack, it might it might well mean that we can get more crosses in the box and, and get some goals as a result of that, which um, which is definitely what we need at this point of the season. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, well, um, in that case, before we move on, um, I might grab from you your three, two, one votes for this game, um, and then I'll give mine, and then we'll move on to the flashback feature. Um, look, I think probably uh, I'd give, I'd definitely give three to Ingram. Actually, I'd probably give five out of six of the votes to Ingram. Um, but yeah, I, I would give Bernard a vote. I, I really did like. There's something there that shows that he's absolute quality. And um, I think at the moment we're probably still not even seeing all of it because of the way we're playing. Yeah, yeah. And we have no, a day I agree. out and he will look just like a rock. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Ingram Ingram definitely man of the match for me as well. Um, that save in the first half especially. Um, I thought Moncur looked really dangerous um, in behind as much as he could. Um, I think I saw a stat the other day that he's got the highest passing accuracy in the championship or something like that, which could well wow. just be because he's getting the ball a lot. Um, and, you know, lots of short passes, <laughs> maybe it's not, not too hard to hit a target. But nevertheless, you know, still to be, to be leading that stat when you've got a side like Fulham and Bournemouth in the division who, who have a huge amount of possession um, is a pretty pretty commendable statistic for him. Um, and then Bernard, yeah, as you say, I think... I think um, th- I think especially with the three five two formation. I think we can see the best of Bernard. Um, gives him a bit more confidence, a bit more support in defence, yep. and then lets him get forward a bit more as well from set pieces and other things like that. So um, certainly think there's more to come from him for the rest of the season. And probably there as well, mate. You want your best players under the most pressure. Mm. You know, if we're talking about trying to fight our way out of a bottom bottom couple of spots, let him have more time. You know, let him let him soak up more so we can concentrate more on the pitch. 
I mean, yeah. we know he can do it. We've already seen that him and, and Greaves especially, we already know what he's proven. But this this kid at, what is he? Is he 21 or 22 or something? Yeah, 20, 20 or 21, I think, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, he's done it in many, many appearances before this season. Um, well, he, I was going to say, he was playing in League 2 last season as well. So that's it's yeah. a pretty commendable step up for him. And, and I think we probably the reason why he was probably an easy pickup is the fact that he looked head and shoulders above everyone in League Two as well. Yeah. So what we've got to do is basically start backing ourselves a little bit and say, well, we've we've got a guy here that we know we can put some faith into. Um, where else do we need to look? Because that's certainly not an area I think we need to worry about. No, definitely, definitely. I think we just need more go- more goal scorers. Um, yep which uh, is a nice segue into our flashback feature this week, which the question I have for you, Brad, if you can name the three players in question, the question is, can you name the last three players to have scored 20 or more goals in a season for us? Oh, crikey. (laughs) Um, Okay. I would definitely obviously say Hernandez. Uh, Actually, no, did you say last three? The last three players, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, any division. Any division. All right. Um, I'm trying to remember how many did how many did Wilkes score last year? Oh, look, I would have thought if I was just pulling names, I would be saying um, oh Bowen. Um, oh, crikey. It's the last three years. Bowen, Hernandez oh, definitely scored 20. Yeah. And then the third one, the third one's a, a long way back. If that, maybe that, oh, maybe that helps. Right, it doesn't okay. help. Not, not, we're not, I'm not talking 90s. Like it was, it was in the mid noughties, but uh, he, uh, he, he played for us through a few of the divisions. Um, oh, um, okay. Um, uh, he was really a winger, but he could score. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he loved his um, reference to the father above when he scored. He did, he did um, indeed. It's, uh, I can't uh, Elliot. But I indeed. Steve, no, Stuart Elliot. S- Stuart Elliot. Yeah, well done. You yeah. got all three. You, you, you made did he score 20? He did, yeah, in the uh, 04 05 season. I think you got well. If you didn't 20... say the mid noughties mate, I'd be stuffed. So, <laughs> yeah. thank you for that. I, uh, you, you, you made me, um, you made me second guess myself on Wilkes because I thought, oh, hang on, I, I'm sure I looked this up, and yeah, Wilkes got 19 last season, so he, uh, <laughs> he, he, right. he didn't quite make it. So I was uh, a bit relieved awesome. with that one. Yeah, I think Good. it was. The, uh, <laughs> I think, in fact, it was all three of those were in the championship. So he scored. Um, he scored. Or actually, no, it was in League One. I think he scored 27 goals. That's right. Wow. Um, so 27 goals from Stuart Elliott, you know, four or five. And then Hernandez, I think, got 22 or 23. And then Bowen got 25, I think, in his last full season with us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I thought so we're talking Elliot, about... Our... Mate, the 24, 25, I would have thought he just scraped 20. Yeah. But that's yeah, huge. No. He he was yeah. yeah he was he was very good for us in League One and then I think was still reasonable in the Championship, um, and then I, I can't remember I, this was sort of before my time following City but 
I, I have a feeling he got injured or something and then he came back from injury and was still okay. But then we were sort of starting to progress and look, we got like, you know, we're looking for players of that sort of Fraser Campbell coming in in 07, 08. I'm sure people will correct me on this. As I said, it's before my time, but I, I, and I think he sort of just moved on from the club at some point, but for a few seasons there, he was very prolific for us. Oh, and not just that. He, he just, there was games. I, I can't remember. There was, there's a game somewhere. And I don't think it was Blackpool, but we played somewhere mid at home. I was, and I just, I think he scored four. Yeah. And it was a game that we were actually even worried about whether we'd get a point out of. And this was a real game. We had to try and get something out of it. And he either scored a hat-trick in the first half or he scored four. I remember it. But he was, yeah, he was, he was blessed with something in those couple of years. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm just having a look at it now. So he moved to Doncaster in the uh, 2008 uh, January window because he wanted to stay in the area, which is kind of interesting because he was a Northern Irish international, I think. And um, so obviously I wasn't from the area, but must have enjoyed his time in Hull so much that he was quite happy to stay in the area when he moved on, um, which is fair enough. And and of course, Bowen, you look at Bowen's scoring record when you consider that um, he was basically just starting out with us that for his first three seasons. I think he got 17 or 15 the first season and then over 20 goals in the next two seasons. Um, and and you think if he'd stayed with us another season or two, he was, he was on track for you know, surpassing Windass and some of those guys for goal scoring for us, which is just remarkable from wow. someone who's, you know, 22, 23. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't know how long exactly he played for us, but he, Stuart Elliott was one of those guys that was easily running at, uh, at one stage there at like 0.75 of a goal a game or something. He was going yeah. bananas. I mean, it does help when you score three or four in one game, but yeah. Um, that run that we had there, considering you had Delaney behind him at fullback scoring goals too at times, it was like just you, we would have hated to have played against that side. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of um, Jared Bowen as well, we had he scored for West Ham against Villa on the weekend at the same end that he scored his first professional goal, which was um, pretty pretty neat to see. It was a nice sort of callback to that first game under Leonard Slutsky and, um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a shame in a way with Lewis Potter that he does have that such a recent comparison where we sort of look at Lewis Potter, we look at Bowen, and we think that Lewis Potter should be up and running and scoring 10, 15 goals for us like, like Bowen did. But So I guess it's a bit of a curse that he's got that um, sort of role model in that sense. But Bowen was a, Bowen was a special player for us. And, and the other thing as well, I mean, obviously, what did we actually get for him when he left? Uh, 20, I think 20, 22 okay. million, maybe. So, what do you reckon he's worth now? Oh, easily double that. I mean, he, he's showing he, he had a bit of a slow start this season, but he's showing in the last couple of games, especially the qualities that he has. And I, I'd not be shocked if, um, well, first of all, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets an England call up in the near future. Um, but then wouldn't be shocked if a, if a Liverpool or a, um, uh, Probably, he'd probably suit a Liverpool, maybe. A, I, I would have said a United, but they seem a bit overstocked with wingers at the moment. Um, you know, one of those, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he made that sort of move in the next year or two. Well, I mean, if, if you... So you think he's close enough to an England call-up? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd, I'd seen a few, a few sort of comments or speculation on it because of his performances for West Ham in the last month. Um, yeah. Again, I mean, England have a lot of wingers as well, so it, it, it'd mm-hmm. probably be it'd probably be one of those meaningless games for England as a first call up, just to see how he goes. 
But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him around the squad over the next season. Mm. Well, I mean, Jimmy Bullard got a call up, so that says something. <laughs> so it's, yeah, anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I saw, yeah, I can't remember who it was. Somebody, it was some player uh, playing in the championship or something recently without talking about how he'd had an England call up and no one could understand it. So you do get some odd players who do end up getting a, managing a call up. Mm. So, oh, it was, uh, Dominic Solanke at, at Bournemouth has an England cap. And you think, you know, oh, yeah, okay, oh he's, he's not too bad, but must have been when he was playing for Liverpool or something like that. But you think if Solanke can get a cap, you'd think Bowen, Bowen <laughs> can't be too far off. <laughs> well, we know how good he is. That's why I was interested in, you know, yeah, really yeah. how much he'd be worth. And that's the same with what's it? So do we know roughly what the price would be on Bernard's head if, if he was available? Well, that's the thing. I mean, he, he just before joining us on loan signed a new long-term deal with United, I think a four-year or a five-year deal. So that's probably the biggest stumbling block is obviously United see a future for him at, at the club. Um, it would therefore take a pretty hefty fee, maybe in the region of a 10 or 15 million pounds, which is probably or definitely beyond yeah. us at this at the moment. New ownership, who knows? But um, it's the sort of thing where I'd, I'd sort of see about at least getting him back on loan next season with a view to a permanent if we were to go up or if certain clauses were met um, and try and work it like that. Because I can't imagine, I mean, he, he's having a terrific season, but I can't imagine he's ready to step up to the Premier League just yet. No. Um, so you would hope that they might be open to a, a second loan move next season. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's a different, totally almost different player, of course, but you look back at when Harry Maguire first joined us in those years. Yeah. Where he, I mean, he was getting frustrated not getting picked and those sorts of things. And there's a lot of similarities there to say, well, you just need a, a little bit of a run and a bit of maturity to be able to say, yeah, I am the real rock of a defensive unit, especially going up to Premier League. The quality of the strikers is just astronomically yeah. better. Yeah. But, um, I mean, there's a lot to like about him. Oh, yeah. No, certainly. And, and it was Maguire, did he, he went on loan to Wigan, I think, that first season he was with us. Um, yeah, and and then in a way was almost fortunate that we got relegated, so he was able to play for us in the championship instead of That's going right. out on another loan. But and yeah. then sort of naturally progressed up with us in in that next Premier League spell. But yeah, certainly I, I don't think there should be any rush to get Bernard up into a into a Premier League club at this stage. No, I think he could just stay with us for a bit longer. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cool. Okay. Well, we do have a game tomorrow morning, which um, I think is only about nine hours away, which would be good fun against West Brom, um, managed by Valerian Ishmael, who was previously at Barnsley up until last season, had them up in the playoffs last season, which was pretty impressive given, um, I mean, I suppose you can look at it in two ways. The way that they've fallen off since then is maybe more down to Marcus Schopp, who um, we'll talk about the Barnsley game in a little bit, but he's lost his job in the last few days. Um, but you know, Ishmael did a great job at Barnsley, and um, he, you know he's, he's not doing a he's not doing a bad job at West Brom. I know there are some murmurings around the, their club, around the style of play and expectations, and it's always difficult. Like I look back at when we were relegated under Bruce, and then went back up after the next season. But everyone was quite expecting that we'd be top two and, and sort of walk the league, and we went up to the playoffs eventually. But um, you sort of get a sense that West Brom fans are feeling a bit the same, that you look at Bournemouth and Fulham pulling away a little bit at the top and West Brom are probably a bit frustrated that they're not there with them. Um, and so there might be a little bit of pressure on Ishmael. They've, they've I think, um, lost two, their last two games or two of their last three games, I think. 
Um, so they've and yeah, they've only got two wins in their last five games, actually. So um, probably a little bit of pressure, but their home form is very strong, and, and it's it's one of those games. I just it's hard to it's hard to hold out too much hope for a result, but I guess stranger things. We we did get a nil nil draw with Bournemouth, so I guess stranger things have happened. Yeah, look, and, and I think probably the only thing that helps us is there's pressure on them. Um, and, you know, we look at the form guide, we're already expected to lose, so it's not really going to be a surprise if it does happen. But um, the only thing probably that still concerns me a little bit when you dive right into the sort of analytics of this is that the, the two games they've really lost uh, well, if you like, is, is pretty much both away. Um, and I think it was Stoke and Swansea, I think. Um, and obviously Stoke aren't, you know, they're around mid-table and not setting the world on fire. But Swansea actually aren't a bad side and probably could end up getting close to the playoffs. So really, when you look at their form guide, the, the two games that they've dropped out of probably their last three, they probably would normally drop anyway. So I don't think it's an over-concern for them, except for obviously if they lost against us, well, the earth will shake and there'll be a lot of pressure on all sorts of people, um, but not as much on McCann. So at the moment, I think it's probably one of those ones where you're expecting to not get a point. But the one thing I want to see is I want to see at least a goal or two or really just let's go out there on a night where we shouldn't be expected to get anything Yeah, and just show that we can mix it. Yeah, no pressure. It should be a really um, relaxed performance in that sense at least. It's not a... You know, we look at the Peterborough game, we look at the Derby game and those those fixtures around us where there's a lot more pressure and expectation. But this one is almost a free hit in a sense. So um it should be it should be a good game in that sense at least. Um it's a it's a very strange championship division this year, as you you just touched on there, Stoke, who have a lot of ex City players and West Brom as well. It's you know, there's a few clubs out there with uh, who are sort of like old boys cities club city clubs, um, <laughs> with uh, Snodgrass, Livermore and Townsend in the West Brom eleven. Um, it'll be an interesting reunion with those guys uh, when we play them. So a um, bit to look forward to in that sense as well. Yeah, and I think that's probably what happens when you have a lack of real investment from owners and chopping, changing managers is you end up with a, a I won't say graveyard because a lot of them are still pretty good, but you end up with a lot of discarded City players around all of the leagues that we actually want to be good in. And uh, they're all still doing the job. At other clubs, I mean, I know obviously Livermore and Snodgrass were Premier League players when they left us, so they had to go because well, we weren't Premier League club anymore. But um, you do sort of wonder, hey, look, I wonder if just one or two of these guys were still with us. You know, you've got still Roch, you know, Kenny running around at Fulham thinking, oh, yep. well, how good would it be if he was still with us and you know, those sorts of things. So um, I think Corey Evans is still somewhere as well. So there's, you know... He is. I saw his name a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. um, I'm trying to remember where it was. Oh, no, okay. He's just just gone to Sunderland. He's in League One now. But he he was up until recently just to Blackburn. So... Um, he'd, yeah. he'd been he'd been a Blackburn with he he joined Blackburn when Kenny went there, so he was a Blackburn for quite a while. Oh wow! Well, if he's gone to Sunderland, that's the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, changes for the side. Would you be happy to try and sort of stick with? I mean, the team we put out wasn't actually that bad against Coventry. I quite like that that formation that those personnel. Um, wouldn't mind to see Emmanuel get another go at, at right back and. Um, even Eve's up top, I wouldn't mind seeing again. I think he's at least, unless Tyler Smith's coming back into the side, I don't think Magenis offers much more than Eve. So 
be happy to stick with him as well. No, look, I'd, I'd echo all of that. In fact, I think the fact that you want to have a real, well, we saw enough there to show that there's some interest, if you like, in keeping that sort of structure. So I think you're crazy to make too many changes yeah. unless there's a a recovery yeah. issue. Um, yeah, I think it was small. Smallwood went off injured, so probably just him for for Honeyman right. if, if Honeyman's fit. Well, if you if you can, yeah, that's actually a pretty actually to be honest, it's probably the best fit. Yeah, um, because those that sort of more energetic grit in the middle there is probably what you need to try and straighten that up. But I agree with you on Eves. I know he's much aligned. I know we hear from one minute to the next, you know, the world's going to end and then it's not. But he does suit this type of formation if you can give him enough time to get into the right spaces. And I'm not saying he's our way out of that bottom two or three, but we've got to try something. And I think it's got to be a bit more attack-minded and so at least knowing that you could have Smith at your disposal or something, uh, if you need to change it up, well, that's good. But what what have you got to lose? Yeah, exactly right. Um, probably the bigger game and then sort of talking about the Peterborough and the Derby games that we've had so far. We've also got Barnsley coming up this weekend. And the title of this episode is that it's a decisive week in City's season. And, um, you know, on, a, on and off the pitch, I think, you look at the fact that Barnsley have made the call and sack shop during the week to try and get out of this hole that they've dug for themselves. And, you know, I know that with all of the talk about the, uh, the takeover and, and the period of exclusivity and all of that, that people say probably suggests that we can't sack McCann at the moment. Um, you sort of hear, like some of the comments I've heard is that perhaps there's some some sense of, well, if if the alums leave McCann in charge and the results keep going poorly, it might just hurry the uh, the prospective buyers up to, to force their hand to just try and rush the sale through and, make their own decisions and, and put their own man in. But um, it certainly makes for a, an interesting perspective at the moment where all the teams around us are sort of, you know, Forest have changed their manager and surged up the table. Barnsley have now changed their manager. It does sort of leave us cut adrift in that sense um, as well as on the table. So uh, it's only going to be an interesting game against Barnsley as well. Yeah, look, it is. And, and I mean, if you want to really, other than the change of manager, if you want to, really have a look in the mirror <laughs> um this is who we're looking at this is the team that is in almost in identical position to us has looked hopeless at times but then again although we'd say look their, their problems are pretty much the same as ours that they, they i don't think they bleed goals i haven't looked through all their fixtures but i, I would say they don't bleed goals but yeah they've, they've only um, considered one more than we have right so they're really mirroring our problem is that is they don't score any yeah. Um, and I think they're realistically only sitting, if I remember when I looked the other day, I think we've actually got one more win than them, but yeah. we've also got one more loss. So they've clearly got through what you would say is a few boring nil-alls, which we haven't been able to do. So um, I think the key thing is is that you you, you treat, keep trying to do what we're doing against West Brom tomorrow night, but then when it comes to Saturday, it's just got to be all out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, they've lost their last five games now as well, which is clear. I think it's six or seven that they've lost in a row, which is what's led to the sacking. Cardiff lost eight in a row and then sacked, um, sacked War- uh, not Warnock, they sacked uh, McCarthy. And I think McCarthy's actually being rumoured as being linked to the Barnsley job, which would be interesting. Bit <laughs> 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 of a musical chairs there for them. But wow. um, um, it, it is always an interesting one, I suppose, with managers that they can look awful in one job and then go to a, go to a new job and suddenly revitalise the club and look a whole lot better. So uh, that would certainly be interesting. Um, 
I think Barnsley play Derby tomorrow morning as well, which is a pretty huge game as well at the bottom of the table. I think depressingly, I think if Derby win that game, then they're only one point behind us despite their points penalty, which um, which would be saying something. But um, yeah, look, I mean, that, that Barnsley game is clearly the more important of the two in the sense of if we can get a result in one of the two games. But how do you feel about the Barnsley game? Do you have any sense of confidence that we can go away, get away with the win? Uh, look, I, I do actually, because I think probably what will happen is is that either it's really going to work tonight in the West Brom game, um, and or sorry, I shouldn't say work as in we'll get three points. The formation, or there'll be some sign of life there, if you like, that will give us enough to think that hey, we can mix it against West Brom away. Um, now we've got to go and take on someone in our nick of the woods, if you like, then I think we will get something out of it. But uh, the one thing that still concerns me against West Brom is, and I'm not even worried if it ends up West Brom scoring four or something like that, we've just got to score because we cannot go anywhere near Barnsley without any sort of goal run because they're in the same boat and it could end up being a pretty entertaining game, funny enough. But if we don't see that sign... Of, of hope from the West Brom game that we can actually do it, even if it's for 30 minutes. It could be enough that takes us through the Barnsley game and uh, gives us enough. Plus, I don't think Barnsley's um, record at home is anything to hold the candle to either. I mean, I know they've lost less games than us, so we think our home form's bad. I imagine theirs is not much better. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So... Um... I guess there's always the worry of the new manager bounce. I guess we'll see if they've appointed a manager by Saturday. But um, look, if we're going to turn our form around anywhere, I think, I mean, if we went out and got a result against West Brom tomorrow morning, even just a draw, um, which I sort of, I keep kind of looking back at that Bournemouth game and thinking, well, if we can get a draw with Bournemouth, um, who are sort of flying at the top of the table, clearly we're doing something right. I mean, granted that game was a little while ago now, but if we can, um, if we can get something against West Brom, or as you say, even just scoring a goal, getting a bit of confidence, um, we can go into that Barnsley game uh, full of optimism for a result. I would hope. Um, I could, yeah, I could certainly see us getting something out of it—a one-nil or a two-two-one sort of scrappy win would certainly do me at this stage, um, and just sort of get us back on track a bit. And look, I think it's it's that whole sort of fear factor, if you like, about okay, well, what if we didn't? perform against Barnsley, then we're all basically defeated. Um, But uh, the one thing I do, look, if you look at the players we've got, we can actually be pretty combative. And there's games where I know we, we, you know, if we were in the crowd there live, we'd be cursing and swearing as much as anyone. Um, But the the thing that I haven't minded at times, and I know it doesn't, it's not a great consolation when you look at the Luton game or even the Coventry game the other night, but even the Peterborough game, we looked ordinary for big patches and then just turned it on yeah. and became pretty combative. And I think that will be the interesting thing to see is, is that Barnsley haven't had a good run, but I don't fear Barnsley being that much of a you know, combative group that we're not going to be able to break them down. The thing is you've got to get some practice at it and we just haven't been really doing it for long enough periods. Nearly every game we've played this year, we have shown 20 or 30 minutes where we can mix it. And the Bournemouth game was a prime example. Were we the best team on the park? We definitely weren't. I think we barely took a shot in the first half. But against what effectively is, you know, a Premier League hopeful team, we matched it with them for at least 60, 65 minutes. 
man on man. Yeah, that's that's right. And it's just about taking our chances when they do come, um, which we're just not really doing at the moment. But we're getting we're getting those, as you say, we're getting those spells and games where we're the dominant team. And there was that Peterborough game was when we when we equalized one one, we went into the second half, we won the penalty, which we then missed. Um, <laughs> but we were, we were just pressing them for that 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then we just sort of, I guess we tired out and then they got caught us on the counter. But as you say, I mean, you put, put one or two goals past them as we did against Middlesbrough and it's a whole different story. Yeah, and, and I, I can't help but think as well, this is maybe where, you know, you could probably do a whole whole episode on whether the manager's the right man for the job. But the thing that worries me a little is that when we're in this position in the championship last, the creativity might have looked like it was there on paper, but it doesn't seem like from the training ground through to Saturday much changes. Yeah. And I know you, you would know better than anyone we used to bag Steve Bruce because his answer was to throw five guys up front when we're behind and all that. But there was times there where at least the players would back the approach and it wasn't all new. You know, we still laugh about Harry Maguire getting thrown from centre-half to basically centre-forward against Arsenal. But clearly at training, they did it. When we were talking about Maguire's career before, I was like, oh, that first season, I reckon he had more appearances as a forward than as a defender. I <laughs> so did. Oh, I still remember that. West Ham game, I think yeah. we had no forwards who were fit, so he started the game at centre-forward, I think, or came on at well, least. I, I can't remember if it was an FA Cup match or a league match, but I remember with about 15 minutes to go, he threw, I'm pretty sure it was at the Emirates, he threw Maguire forward and Arsenal looked like they were the second-rate team. Yeah. And it wasn't like he was a genius and taking guys on, but it was almost like it gave the team a structure. And the way you could move the ball down the park wasn't going to be rebounding straight back at you. And I think sometimes all that I worry about with McCann is he's clearly done it in the division below because we've got the talent to push naturally through three teams. We walk through them. But in this league, when you've got, you know, effectively six to eight Premier League hopefuls minimum, you've got to have more than just plan A. And I still yeah. reckon that's one of the reasons why Brucey was so successful in getting teams promoted is he would throw shit everywhere just to see if it would work. But clearly it wasn't like I'm going to throw him forward and he's never done it before. He would work on that sort of stuff. And I wonder sometimes whether McCann really has three or four opportunities to change things up on paper, but then on the training ground it's not really implemented or we're not running through. Like even the rustiness of this 3-5-2, I'm surprised how well it worked because it didn't look like we've been training it that hard yeah and that's um, i was surprised over the international break after the borough game that we haven't uh put more effort into it considering how successful it was against borough and you look at last season a lot of our set pieces seemed very well worked from the training pitch and it just feels like this season there's no sort of fluidity fluidity or, or fluency coming from the training pitch at all it doesn't seem like anything that we've worked on or prepared works or or that there's nothing that we've actually prepared to begin with and, and I think probably the best example, and I mean, it's easy to talk when it's not your team, but I was talking to a Preston supporter and said, look, you guys have been going all right. You know, what, what do you think the difference is? And he just said, just a bit of consistency in the formation. Yeah. He said, it's not, we're not going to end up in the top four or five or six. He said, but they moved to a more rigid 3-5-2. Um, I think he said it was in a league cup match. And he just said he was surprised that they tried it, but clearly at training they've been working their socks off with it 
And I think he said even, um, I think they played QPR and they went down 4-2 or something like that. But he said it was still actually a really good performance because they stuck with the, the plan. And he knows against QPR it might not work, who are pretty attacking and can move the ball reasonably quick. He said, but we should be able to beat half the teams in this league if we can play that way because they're so disciplined. Yeah. And Preston's lineup is nowhere near on paper. Um, uh, you know, well, it's, it's not streets ahead of us, but at times it just looks like they are. I still can't like figure that. out how we beat them 4-1 on the first day of the season. I know. <laughs> but but I think that's probably the answer, mate. They adjusted yeah. pretty quick to saying, right, clearly what we thought might work's not. And so what are we going to do about this? Well, we're going to you know, turn this around and try something different and go to the training. I mean, that's what the training ground's for, but we haven't seen anything. Well, from an... It doesn't appear to be anything really structurally changing going on other than throwing a few blokes around. And to be honest, that 3-5-2 on the weekend worked because of a bit of natural talent. That's what that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope we can um, start to see a bit of a turnaround of form, a turnaround of uh, luck and, and chances tomorrow morning against West Brom and then again on the weekend against Barnsley. Two big games coming up this week. So thank you for joining me to talk about them, Brad. No, thanks for having me, mate. No worries. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Hopefully uh, hopefully we're back next week to discuss some pretty successful performances against West Brom and Barnsley. Um, or Actually, I don't even think it'll be next week because I think it's the international break, isn't it? So we'll be... No, no, we have one more game before the internet. No, no, it, oh, I was right the first time. So it is the international break starting next week. So we'll be back the week after to discuss those games um, and look ahead to the... Um, I think it's the uh, Birmingham game, is it? I think the week after that. Um which would be a pretty big fixture. Oh, no, it's Coventry next. Uh, not Coventry, Cardiff next. Uh, so we'll be back to discuss that game, to preview it, as well as these games um, where hopefully we'll have picked up a result. So until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, The Tigers Down Under. For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Odds. The music was created by Amber and Black. All the city's on fire Where the burning desire Tigers are roaring and destiny's calling Cause now is the time Yeah, the city's on fire Going higher and higher There's no turning back Cause you're